0: Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Doc Jen.
1: And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and physical therapy pearls of wisdom to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions.
0: Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is really to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in.
1: All right, here we go with another podcast talking into relationships. And it's going to go really deep into self-work, with Stefano Sifandos. So Stefanos is a trained educator and relationship expert with a background in behavioral science. He is passionate about leading people closer to their highest potential. He helps men and women escape negative patterns and cultivate a positive sense of self as well as restructuring and reframing their relationships with themselves and their loved ones. Seriously, there are so many incredible nuggets in this podcast on how to start actually getting to that true self and integrating that into real life. If you go to his Instagram handle, Stefano Sifandos, that'll be down in the show notes so you can just click into it, you'll immediately see how dedicated this man is to helping facilitate others' paths to overcoming some of their shadow truths and traumas. He is a co-founder of Elementum Coaching Institute as well, which he talks about a little bit at the end of the podcast. So let's go. Steph, thanks so much for being here today. I'm just I'm so excited to dive in with you because I see your stuff all the time on Instagram and it's stuff that I resonate so much with. And I think you you just hit on so many points that really hit to the core of people because it's the stuff about relationships, about sexuality, about unions and marriage that people just don't talk about a lot. So, Jen and I are just super excited to jump in on a lot of that.
2: Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here as well.
0: So, what brought you into really working with relationships? And, you know, and I know that you and Christine, how long have you been married now?
2: Oh, um, what are we in? 21? Geez, <laughs> three years. Are you losing track already? <laughs> no, 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 more than three years. Jeez. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Amazing. But so, some people might say that's pretty early on, right? So, what brought you into working with relationships, and how long have you been doing this?
2: Yeah, so I've been, I've been, you know, immersed in understanding. I think it's a, firstly, let me just be really clear. For me, it's a lifelong process and a lifelong journey, just like I think humaning is, right? Like yeah. Being humans, discovering and unpacking our potential, reaching new layers of understanding and connection but well, that's a lifelong process it doesn't stop from my perspective it doesn't mean that we constantly have to be in our work and in the in the darkness or in the shadow or in the pain consistently not at all but it does mean that we're just constantly evolving and learning more about who we are in the world and i think that's a really beautiful thing actually so for me you know i i've been in the call the personal transformational personal development space not only as a student but as a teacher for quite some time, technically since I was 18 years of age and I'm 39 now, I'm 40 next year. So I've been in this space quite, you know, a few a few years. However, I really wasn't integrated and I was so scattered in my approach, not only in how I um, taught but how I thought but the, the lives that I was living, I was living a double life. Like I was preaching or speaking to amazing concepts but I wasn't living them. You know, I was speaking to integrity and honesty and truth as values that should be played out in relationship. I was speaking to, you know, being transparent with those that you care about, but I wasn't being transparent with the people that I cared about and the people that really cared about me. And I hid and I was in shame and guilt and lies. And it was very painful for me because I wasn't looking at my trauma in the way that I really needed to. I was only just scraping the surface or touching it, but whenever it got too intense, I would just pull myself away. And so it wasn't until about eight years ago, that I really started to look at that at a deeper level. And so my relationship, two relationships, firstly, predominantly my my relationship to myself and all parts of me, my shame, my pain, my trauma, my guilt, my past, my future, my vision, like all of that had to shift. And as that started to shift and I really started to walk my talk, and I really started to show up in a healthier way, in a more embodied, integrated way, and that started becoming reflected back to me by strangers. Um, people that would pick up that presence and then obviously not obviously but also people that knew me and had been in my world since I was a teenager and, and, and you know family and friends that had seen some pretty big changes that's when I really started orientating myself deeper to this work because I was doing it on myself for myself in a way that I'd never done it before and so what orientated me what pulled me towards this work was my own pain, and my own suffering, and my own despair and really just messing up in relationship over and over again. And, and and not only understanding that but healing that part of me and healing those parts of me. And so that that really, that you know, that eight year ago, Mark, really started the, the deeper catalyst for me to uh, explore myself in ways I'd never before but also to serve and to be of service and to create and ideate in ways
1: that I've never had before either. Mm, I, th- I think, I mean, just in what you said right there, are so many powerful tidbits that we definitely want to dissect more into. I mean, a lot about the integration, a lot about, you know, even mm-hmm. discovering those initial shadow truths and traumas and, and inner children.
0: Well, and I just got to say that takes so much humility as well as a human to be able to say, listen, this is what I'm saying and I know how to preach it. I know how to teach it, but I'm not actually living it. And I think when we all kind of step back and look at what am I saying? Who am I saying it to? And am I actually being in that? Like that is, that's massive. That's and and Being able to get through the shame of that is massive. So can I just ask like what made you actually start to create that shift that said, this is no longer okay. It's no longer okay for me to just talk about this, but not actually be it.
2: Yeah, from a from an existential meta perspective, it was chaos and turmoil and an immersion, a plummeting into the shadow. And and from a more pragmatic, logistical place, it was I was in a relationship, an intimate romantic partnership, whom I, I deeply cared for this woman, and and she deeply cared for me, and we'd been together for about three and a half, four years, and. I wasn't behaving in integrity in that relationship. There was infidelity and there was cheating and there was dishonesty and and, and masks worn and, and just shadow behavior and lies and, and all of that. And and that came to a head, she found out, and she discovered my behavior outside of the relationship that wasn't in agreement. We didn't have agreements around that, that behavior and, and that way of being. And it really brought up a lot of shame the surface that was undealt with from my past and pain and trauma and my nervous system had such a reaction it, it was like a, a, a come to jesus kind of moment you know sometimes you will hear uh, drug addicts have a really bad hit and it, it's like something possessed them Or well, the, the experience was so intense they just they just quit cold turkey there and then and they'll never ever go back it's like a really bad trip and it was almost that and I could never look at myself in the same way again. I could never continue the behavior that I was continuing and being that person anymore. Because I started to see all the holes in my in my life. I started to to see all the gaps where I wasn't being truthful. I wasn't being honest. I was really suffering deeply. I was blaming everyone and everything. But I wasn't taking responsibility. Like even my businesses that were failing, I would say, well, the market's not right or I don't have enough money to, you know, I don't know the right people. And, and, but I was never really taking responsibility. It was always something else. And so it was someone else. And so I just couldn't do that anymore. And that began the journey of I, I literally just stopped doing what I was doing. Like I stopped working. I, I, I gave my businesses up. I, I went into massive debt. I went inward. You know, I cut a lot of friendships uh, out of my life. They, they didn't do anything wrong. They just weren't conducive. It was really hard because they 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 weren't conducive just to the values that I was bringing into my life and remembering again of who I really was. And it was very difficult to be in, the, in a very similar environment um, or the same environment and be completely different. Yeah. And so there was a lot of identity loss and change that was going through. And and I saw it help. I mean, I saw it counselors and psychologists and shamans and energy healers and, and spiritual guides and and I spent a lot of time in solitude and in nature and I, and I really spent a great deal of time and space in my own time and space um, and that was very healing as well but not without it being confronting. like It was all very freeing and all amazing but not without having my face and and, and genitals, my sexual self, just dragged across rock bottom multiple times. Like, that's what it felt like, you know. And, and for me, my journey, that needed to happen in order to give me the context, perspective, reference point, and grace that I needed, although it wasn't very graceful at the, at the time, to be able to transition from an older version of self and selves into a newer version of self. Wow.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, redefining of self, it's like, it's easy to say, but the process that you just outlined and kind of losing that community that you were surrounded by for so long that you felt like were your friends and, and needing to remove yourself from that environment that was comfortable, yet provided a lot of those excuses and those abilities to hide behind things and blame other things to be able to be vulnerable and find your naked self. And, Mm -hmm. You know, find that reference point. I I think that's something that's so hard, especially you know, in in a place of addiction, regardless of what the behavior is. You know, we're addicted to a certain lifestyle, and not being able to get out of that because we have all of these shields and guards up um, to protect that inner self, that that true self that we're not allowing to be seen. Um, It's a really interesting concept once you start taking those shields down, and how your body just will viscerally respond um you brought up one thing about you know that that you kind of went through with infidelity and cheating and i just want to talk about that in general like where do you think that comes from in relationships and and why are people you know seeking out other partners when they're in a committed relationship versus just getting out of the relationship and pursuing new partners or or things like that where do you think that kind of behavior comes from
2: thing comes from many different places. It's not, it's not just one place within us. I, and I can and I'll speak for myself because I'm, I'm also representative of others and, and other reasons or other people uh, engaged in these reasons. But it's not the only only reason. So for me, I used uh, sex, sex compulsion, sex addiction, um, prostitution, being with many different women. Not only as as an ego boost, because a lot of it was done in in the shadows, right? The ego boost was part of it for myself and for maybe my peers, but it it did a few things for me. It gave me a sense of relief because for me it defined me being quote-unquote free, and freedom was a big wounding for me because of my childhood and the constriction that I experienced, right? Ultimately, if we really strip all of this back, why we behave how we behave is because of patterns coping strategies that we've cultivated and developed during our formative years that have have laid down foundations in our behavioral neurological physiological psychological ways of being right that's the sort of macro understanding for me it was variety and being with many different women and having those those high peak experiences It, it gave me a sense of relief and freedom literally like i wasn't being annihilated and I had that reprieve in my nervous system because freedom was a big wounding for me. So it was commitment because of the, the upbringing that I had, how I viewed my parents, the violence that I was exposed to, the volatility between them. So I couldn't trust intimacy. I couldn't trust romance. And so I was fooled to believe that the peak experience of novelty and variety, which is a beautiful and real thing, but I, I was fooled to believe that that is love and that is intimacy. So the more of that I had, the more intimacy and closeness and I felt, the more seen I felt. Wow. Even paying women to, to be intimate was something that gave me a sense of control in, in terms of, oh, the, you know, again, a misbelief Well, this person must really care for me because they're being affectionate. But it was all transaction and it was all me compensating for the immense pain that I was avoiding so I needed more pleasure. See, the, the greater our pain, the greater the compensation for pleasure needs to be and the more frequent it needs to be because we get accustomed to it number one physiologically and psychologically and number two not only do we get accustomed to it but we believe that we need more of it and we're on the right path with it so for me that was part of it now the other part was it was i lacked self-confidence in some areas of my life, right? I lacked, it wasn't, sorry, let me me go back. It wasn't confidence that I lacked, it was self-worth that I lacked, that I masked Mm. with false bravado, that I masked with highlighting my achievements in life, whether they were physical or monetary achievements or status or whatever it may be, accomplishments in business and so forth, which I, I, I lied even a little bit about that. Not a lot, but a little bit about that because I wasn't where I really wanted to be. I wasn't, you know, I was and, and again what drove me was this unconscious seeking of approval from my father that I never got as a child. And, and I know and couple that with I got abuse from him and couple that with I also received love from him. So it was very confusing for me. So I had what was called a what is called a disorganized attachment style growing up and for much of my life. And so the other part was was that was I had such low self worth that I couldn't be honest in my relationships because I was also scared of the judgment. I was also scared of the shame that would be inflicted upon me because as a kid when I was honest, guess what happened? I was judged. I was shamed. It never went really well, so I hid. So I developed a pattern of hiding in my life, right? And so that pattern transcended and played out in my relationships as well. Then, let me me keep going, some other reasons, society – sees men who do that not necessarily as as good noble men but it's not like it's not like such a big deal that's a warped perception dishonesty and infidelity saying that's not a big deal it's okay or it's acceptable that's a warped perception of healthy relating and that's not how we healthily relate but our society at some level and there's nuances in this of course accepts that expression of men being men and not to say that women don't cheat absolutely they do like humans cheat and there are evolutionary biological reasons for that i'm not going to get into that too much but that's also a real thing as well right these are part of what we call psychological sexual mating strategies in both men and women they differ and we have to compete to get what we want right with each other yeah and, and again that's a very complex thing and that's that's millions of years old and it's evolved over time but there's that but let me go back to what i was saying uh, a second ago so it was also accepted in my peer groups like that's what we did like we would if we were in relationship sure we would cheat it wasn't a big deal that didn't make it right and it didn't make it, 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 it compounded a lot of guilt and a lot of shame in me personally, and so over years I had to keep running and hiding to get away from that guilt and shame. And what I needed more pleasure. So drugs weren't my thing. I would go to alcohol. I would go to exercise. I would go to food. I would go to sex. Some people marked it in different ways, right? But that's how I did. I
0: mean and that that is the perfect cycle that you just <laughs> depicted so brilliantly is is having that pain and, and finding that pleasure to be able to cover it up rather than be able to actually dissect it and go into it. And I feel like that that is the root of the problem in so many different areas. It doesn't have to just be infidelity or cheating. It doesn't even have to be relationship, but relationship itself, you cover things up and you lie to yourself about things. And then you take that into the relationship. I mean, so how do you, how does someone who, and I, you know, because this is something that I've heard all growing up i feel like is like i want my freedom you know it's hard to commit because i want my freedom so how how does a especially a man start to battle that when they think well freedom doesn't mean relationship freedom doesn't mean intimacy if i if i create that with someone then i take away my freedom so what does freedom actually mean in relationship
2: freedom means not being attached Freedom means not being fearful of the decisions that we make. Freedom means a deeper acceptance of self. Freedom means worthiness that is not only expressed in mind but is expressed in action and a heart and interaction with another. Freedom means being able to be oneself. And if judgment comes or shame comes towards us, we can still hold in our true self. Freedom means making our own sovereign decisions, being discerning with who we are, who we spend our time with. Freedom means so many different things. I've just given you some examples in relationships. I love it. I love it. Freedom means vulnerability, right? And, and not being attached to how the other person is going to respond to our truth, slash vulnerability, slash authentic expression. Because when we are attached the first thing that I said is not attached, right? When we are attached to how someone else sees us and we then begin to behave in certain ways based on how we think we want them to see us or how we think we need to be or how we feel we need them to receive us, we contort ourselves. We become codependent. We people please. We manipulate. We control. That's not freedom. Now we're being dictated to by constriction and nervous restriction in our physiology in our psychology, we're now being dictated to by fear and fear is running us and that's that's how I was for so long and I did everything to avoid fear and to avoid feeling fear and being in that place. And then, then, then you know, the paradox is, well, well, I'm not a man if I'm not, you know, scared, so I would do things that would scare me, such as seek adrenaline dumps, you know, extreme sports, you know, climb high mountains, whatever it may be, like to prove to myself that I'm tough still. And so, you know, because we, we it's a human condition, like we need to experience fear uh, and we need to experience joy, but our sources of these things really impact and influence the health of our entire constitution.
0: Well, I was just saying, like, how do we even start to address where we are right now? You know, it's like, there there's so many layers to us as individuals and then we par- pair that with a partner and we're expected not yeah. to get attached, we're expected not to, to fall into certain patterns that we've learned from what we saw growing up. So how, where does someone even start to identify where they are?
2: So the first thing that I often go to, because the truth of it is that we struggle as human beings to see the forest through the trees. Uh, we live with ourselves twenty four seven I'll give you an example um, you both know Christine my wife um you know she's she's pregnant at the moment. Uh, we're very grateful, of course. And, and often she'll come to me like every day. Is my belly getting bigger? Is my belly? Getting bigger? <laughs> like, <laughs> and she's just being cute, right? But like, she's being serious because she almost can't see it because she lives with herself 24 seven. Like she knows it's bigger. She can feel it, but it's like, I oh, has it grown since last week or has it grown since, you know, like a few days ago? And she's, just, and we just, we, we we're, it's a new novel thing for us. So it's all very exciting, but also, um, very new, right? But you can see through that point there. She lives with herself 24 7. She's not going to notice the changes, even over a week. But we're like that. We struggle to see our own selves fully, right? And so, what's really important is that we have honest, trusted, respected, revered reflections in our lives. What does that look like? Could look like a counselor. Could look like a coach or a psychologist. Could look like a a friend's group that where you meet, or, 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 a, or a men's group, or a woman's group, or co ed group, or whatever it may be, you meet once a month and you, and you share about what's happening in your lives and you ask for honest feedback. Could be going to a family member and, and asking them pertinent questions about who they think you are in the world. It doesn't mean you have to take their perspective for gospel, but it does mean that you have an opportunity to see parts of you that you can't see. That's what a, a great coach does. A great coach will shine lights. And a great friend will shine lights on the dark parts of you that you can't see to illuminate them, to illuminate them, not to shame them or to judge you, but to bring love, to apply compassion, acceptance to those parts that you can't see, to apply healing, not that they're going to do the healing for you, that you will do the healing for yourself, but to apply context and wisdom and insight, and that's how we grow. We have more information, whether it's in a more visceral, embodied way or whether it's in an intellectual way or an emotional way. We have more information. We can act on that. Awareness is only part of the puzzle, so to speak, or the solution. It's a part of the process. If, you know, if all we needed was awareness, then the world would be a very different place for the yeah. quote-unquote better. Right? But we need more than awareness, but awareness is a great starting point. We often get confused with awareness, though, because awareness is tricksy. Like in, in Lord of the Rings, and the Golem is Trixie, tricksy, Trixie, tricksy, tricksy. Like That's what awareness is. Tricksy, it's a trickster because it gives you a false sense of confidence like, oh, because I'm so aware of it. Therefore, I've healed it or moved past it. Therefore, I've transformed. Therefore, I'm better than I was. I'm greater than I was. I've grown. Not necessarily, not without continuous, consistent, embodied action. And that's a a deeper process. So we need people in our lives that help us reflect who we are and what we cannot see to help us begin that process. And simultaneously, I will say, spending ample time in solitude, in stillness, in silence with yourself, getting to know yourself at deeper levels, asking yourself, Powerful questions, because powerful questions tend to lead to powerful outcomes and powerful insights and realizations. And so asking yourself those questions that take you to the edge, you can feel that in your body. You're like, What do I really need to learn right now? What am I doing that I really could be doing that would better my life? What are the patterns that continue to play out that are giving me more of what I don't want? What's my true deepest vision for myself? What is the greatest pain that I'm feeling right now? What is the greatest fear that I'm not facing right now? These are powerful questions, right? And so, if we can be honest with with ourselves, honest with each other, we can grow in a deeper way.
1: And so, in that, you bring up, you know, once we find this honesty with ourselves and are able to have some awareness, like, no, that's not the end of the road. It, it takes this consistent embodied action that you brought up. And, and I think that starts to get towards this this integrating of, you know, this awareness that we have. uh, So, can you bring up an example of how someone can start to approach, okay, I'm I'm aware that I need to make this change or that I need to do this in order to to be true to myself. How do I start going about installing this consistent embodied action in my life?
2: Our environment plays a massive role in how we see life and see ourselves. And our environment will trigger, right? It will... will Tr- it will continue to trigger behaviour, and so sometimes having a change of environment can be deeply empowering, and that could be moving city, moving house, changing peer groups, changing jobs, doing something different with your life, like tra- taking yourself on that path that you really want to take. So it could be just going on a holiday, disappearing into nature for a week or a month or six months, depending on what your circumstances allow. Right? Like it's that it's that level of commitment to change environment can be really really cool for that so changing shifting your environment can be deeply empowering
0: that's huge and i just like i love what you said about how powerful questions can create powerful outcomes i think that is that's so that itself is so powerful and and personally i found that when i start just writing things down on paper actually rather than just thinking about them, but actually writing, it allows for things to come to the surface that I might not even have thought about, or I might not be, you know, fully aware of until I actually start putting it down. And then I can start saying, okay, where's my action point? How can I put that into, into action? And I, and it is a continual practice. Like it is, it is nonstop of what we do is how we be like, we, we have to, do the things, like I just absolutely love this conversation. Now how do we start to put that into a healthy relationship with another person and what even defines a healthy relationship?
2: There are many things that define a healthy relationship and and how we put that into a relationship with with another person is through agreements and boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. But in order to put healthy agreements in place and have those very honest, open conversations with those that we care about, we have to be very honest with ourselves, right? Mm Like, in order to put, in order to have agreements about what your desires are, what you want, what your likes and dislikes are, how you want to disagree in relationship, like, in order to have those agreements put forward in relationship, you have to trust yourself, back yourself, know yourself, love yourself, and you have to be committed to the relationship that's really, really important as well, is you have to be all in on that relationship. And that doesn't mean that, oh, I'm going to spend the next 100 years with this person. I mean, that could be it, but it's more so that you're you're really present to the relationship and you realise that, you know, the more honest and present you can be in this relationship, the more that you will get from it. And now that may sound selfish, but it's enlightened self-interest, right? Because you know that the more that you can get from it, you can give back to the relationship in a more empowered way, in an amplified way. And the the, the context for that is that the other person shares that similar intention. So you have agreements in how you want to be in the relationship, and then your boundary in the relationship as well. so I've, if you're yelling at me, that's a boundary for me. Either. That's not how we argue. That's not how we disagree. That's not how we do life together. So there has to be a, hey, that's a no for me. And and in order to be boundary, though, you have to be self-confident, authentically, genuinely self-confident. You have to carry self-worth for you to be able to express that. And so I- ipso facto, we come back to working on yourself, constantly being a work in progress on yourself. That's what it's about.
1: So within this, you know, We talk about having these open, honest conversations with your partner and say, you're getting to the point where you're wanting to start to do that, but you're met with a lot of resistance and Mm. and you are noticing that your partner's not wanting to go into these conversations, not wanting to have this openness. I'm sure you get people reaching out to you all the time saying, oh, if only my husband, partner, boyfriend, whoever would talk to you, Like they they just need to be able to hear some of this stuff, but they might not be open to it. What if somebody runs into that wall?
2: Well, again, knowing yourself and knowing what your non-negotiables are. Because if one of your non-negotiables in relationship is growth and, you know, being really, really open to oneself and wanting to be in a relationship where there is a consideration and openness – then you have to have a look at the dynamic of the relationship and choose whether this relationship is for you. Now, just because someone may disagree with you or may not be open to something that you're wanting them to be open to, doesn't mean that in general they're not an open person, they don't value growth. It could just be this doesn't align for, for them. So understanding why it doesn't align for them, is it a childhood trauma, is it a trigger, is it too early for them, is it beyond where they're at the moment within their own level of consciousness? That's an individual choice that an individual has to make. Like in terms of what to do. But getting curious about why that's happening is a great starting point because now in curiosity, you're automatically activated in a parasympathetic nervous system response. Right. So you're 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 automatically, you know, safer in your constitution, so to speak. And you automatically you, you know, you're more in a ventral vagal parasympathetic nervous system response, which means your body's calmer, your social engagement is is online, you're curious, you're not scared, you're not retracted, you're not in fight or flight. So getting curious about where someone's at, where your partner's at, can be really healing for them as well and actually maybe by default get them on board with what you are wanting to share or what you are wanting them to engage in. But also remember and being kind and compassionate about is that it may not be for them. And that's okay, but are you okay with that? Are you okay with your partner not following that same path? Can you have your own individual path and still coexist and thrive together? Not just cohabitate or survive, but thrive together. That's an individual choice. But if you start with curiosity, you're not now coming from defensiveness. You're not coming now from protection and aggression that's a way more empowered inviting place to come from that's if anything going to enroll your partner into at least seeing what you're seeing and having them consider it from a deeper vantage point
0: oh my goodness that is that's everything i mean that's huge if you're you know approaching someone because they're not doing it or they're you're you're angry you're combative you're you're reacting like you said like From the opposite from a sympathetic place who's going to want to respond from a sympathetic place no one's going to want to get on board but if you're coming with curiosity and compassion and Mm -hmm. openness like that is such a calmer place that someone can possibly meet or at least continue to have open conversation and i think you know being able like you said from the beginning like having that self-awareness having that that ability to to create that environment, like that, that's a very powerful place. Do you guys work with people, you know, in relationship with each other, or do you do you recommend first, like let's work on you as see where you're at and see where your growth might need to be before we can even start pulling in a partner?
2: Yeah, it's a both and scenario. It depends on the individuals. It depends on where they're at. It depends on their level of willingness you know, how much, you know, work they've done, awareness they have around themselves, uh, you know, it depends on the dynamic and nature of their relationship, their historical context in so many different in, in ways individually, you know, what what's their upbringing like and their belief systems and their their coping strategies and, and so many factors lean into that d- decision. But it's, it can be a both and. Sometimes – we, we have to go, you know what, there's no point in working in this relationship right now until both of you are individually at a place where you can deal with what's happening, right? And sometimes it's like, uh, you guys actually are probably going to do better in the relationship, like healing in the relationship. And like an exa- a great example of that is an avoidant attachment style. Like an avoidant attachment style will generally heal best in relationship, mm-hmm. Right a secure, uh, sorry, an, an insecure attachment style, is probably going to heal best outside of relationships. So not making the relationship the priority, right? I'm just giving you two su- super simple examples. That yeah. Are somewhat complex as well. It can be. But, you know, attachment theory is something that many people know about. You know, the, the book Attached did really well and it, and it expressed that in such a great way. But it's one of the ways that we understand human behavior, right, through attachment theory. And so, you know, it really depends on the individuals and their trauma, their wounding, their background, their history and, you know, the, their intentions and so much of what's going on in their
1: can you briefly explain what some of the attachment theories are and is there an easy way for you to kind of explain that to people might be listening
2: uh, yeah, I mean, yes, d- definitely. And, um, <laughs> to be honest, I, if you scoured the internet, like, right, it yeah. it, it, it's, it's, I mean, the, yeah, there's so much there, but let's, you know, let's go into a little bit of attachment theory anyway, just for the sake of it, right? So I mentioned the book, uh, I mentioned the book Attached, right? And so that's a, a, a super cool book in just understanding how attachment theory is, is formed. Generally, attachment theory is formed from zero to call it eighteen months, maybe two years at the sort of at the most, but it's 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 formed at a very young age. You've got anxious attachment, so secure attachment style is the healthiest attachment style, mm. right? Then you've got avoidant, which is one I just uh, one I just explained. So you've got, well, actually let me go. So you've got dismissive avoidant. So here you feel isolated there's a level of ambiguity that you and ambivalence that you experience you're emotionally distant you know you you when something's difficult boom you're out like you just you don't want anything to do with it you're just you're just not you're not you're not interested right um there's secure attachment style which of course is the ideal for all of us it means that as a child you were nurtured in a way that was healthy your needs were met you could trust your environment um you know when you called for help you were met in a healthy way in a timely way you know you carry confidence there's reciprocity in your interaction there's no reactiveness there's resilience like it's that that type of thing right then there's anxious attachment style um this is also can be known as anxious preoccupied um again here you 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 can be highly emotional um, you 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 have like an emotional hunger, like you know. Enough, there. You're very codependent. You experience a lot of turbulence growing up. Um, there's there's lack of nurturing that you experience. There's a fantasy bond that you share as well um, within your relationship. So there's high levels of codependence. Mm. Um, you know, then there's this disorganized attachment style, um, which can also be called, I'm pretty sure, fearful avoidant. Um, if I'm not mistaken. But again, this is where you experience love, but you also experience turmoil and terror. The same source of your safety was the same source of your terror. So you had a dramatic, unpredictable, ambivalent environment, volatile environments, a lot of internal conflicts. And so essentially they're the attachment styles. Now, they they then form who we become as adults, right? Now, the, the beautiful thing is that we can, quote, unquote, heal or we can move from wherever we are into a healthy uh, attachment, into a secure attachment style. And it requires work, of course, but it's very possible to do. And that's a that's a again a beautiful place to be. To know that we're not fixed, yeah. Uh, like we're not we're not stuck in our um, attachment styles. Is that does that answer your question? Oh
1: yeah. Oh absolutely. No, I think that that was great. And like you said, I think it's beautiful to have the empowerment of just knowing that as humans, as human beings, we have this plasticity of our (laughs) physiology and our system to always change that, you know, and to what degree and how much. It depends on how long we've been where we're at and how hard (laughs) and consistent we work at making some different changes. Um, I kind of want to continue along the relationship route because I know in your work, you talk a lot about the sacred union and, and you, I feel mm-hmm. like you use that term almost in synonym or in replacement of the word marriage. And I'm wondering if you can explain a little bit what you mean when you say sacred union and and is that similar to a marriage? How would those two relate?
2: It's a great question. I, I don't, um, if I was to use the word union, that would be synonymous with marriage. Okay. Uh, for me, if I was to say sacred marriage and sacred union, then that would be synonymous for me personally. Mm. Right. Right. Um, so I appreciate the clarification there as well. So for me, sacred union is uh, this is you know I give a when everyone anyone ever asks me you know what's your definition of sacred union you know, I swear I give uh, an eighty percent different answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of how it is, right? Like, it's what is it today? <laughs> you know, it's it's all the things that we've spoken about. Yeah. Like right, really, you know, it's it's being willing to do the work together. It's realizing that that. Your role in the relationship is not just affecting your partner, but it's affecting your own growth and your journey. It's affecting all the people that come into contact with you. It's it's saying that I'm in this relationship because I'm going to ask these key questions. I'm going to ask, how is me being in this relationship and the way that I show up, how does that affect me? How does that affect my partner? How does that affect our relationship? And how does that affect the world? Like there's this bigger, bigger picture But it's simultaneously a deep, deep connection to self as well. Right? Like it's not so it's not it's not just, oh I'm here in this relationship because this relationship makes the world a better place. Yes, and does it make your internal home a better place, like the internal home within your heart, within your own being? Does it, make, does it make you a better place? Like what are you learning and gro- how are you learning and growing from this relationship? Are you just spinning wheels? Like to me, sacred union is being wi- is being willing to go to uncomfortable places, to the hard places that you haven't been able to visit before because of your fears. Being in sacred union means supporting each other through different stages of life, being brutally honest, being very deliberate with whatever choices and agreements you make in relationship. Like That, that there could be a definition of sacred union. Mm-hmm. I am deliberate in the choices and the agreements that I make within the context of this relationship. So I don't think most people do that in relationship. I know I never did. Like I, There were times that I tried, where it, but it was all lip service. Like it wasn't genuine and, and authentic. And, I, and, and sacred union is healing. It's a healing container for all of our past pain, for all of our past worries, for all of our past patterns. Uh, for me, sacred union is recognizing that you are coming together uh, as as a couple, or you know, as a frapple, whatever your dynamic is. It's irrelevant. Gen- generally speaking, it's going to be a couple, a coupledom, an intimate, romantic partnership of coupledom. But it's coming together, saying that I know that you've got stuff in you that is going to help me heal, and I've got stuff in me that is going to help you heal, and together we can heal each other, and in turn, heal the planet. Like, that's really what it, what it's also about. It's, it's, you know, it's the relationship itself is its own entity. It has its own auric field. It has its own intelligyumum, it has its own deliberate sense of being in the world. Like, it's its own living, breathing entity. That, to me, is also sacred union. A sacred union itself is a relationship outside of just those two individuals. And so, that's, I mean, that's how I feel like answering it today.
0: No, I I love that, and I think that's what like Dom and I say all the time too. When we meet two incredible humans that are together, have partnership marriage, and they they don't want kids, obviously, always their choice. However, we always say, <laughs> "Oh, but you can make this world so much better by having these little like these humans that go out and can you know just make the world better." And I think it's a huge responsibility, <laughs> and I think that's why. Some people might be resistant to that idea of my relationship isn't just within this in this household, but it is reflective of what's happening at large. And I, that that's huge. That's a lot to take in. Totally. Well, do you relate that as well to sacred sexuality? Is that is that a similar context in the way that
2: Yeah, and sacred sexuality is even a layer deeper because of the vulnerability and the rawness and openness that can sometimes be shared and the wounding around sexuality, not only at a collective societal level, but at an individual level through abuse and shame, body shame as an example, you know, sexual abuse, um, just just so much, so much there. Yes, I do equate it very similarly.
1: So, I mean, Steph, we just appreciated so much having you on and- Cutting through a lot of these topics, and yeah I mean like like Jen just mentioned, I absolutely love when we meet amazing humans, and we know <laughs> that they're gonna bring yeah. another incredible human into this world and do their darndest <laughs> to provide them a secure base to, you know to to form and develop from so we're so excited for you and christine um yeah. to bring to bring a little human into the world. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And your work is is truly, truly incredible. I feel like we just tapped on the surface of what we could dive so much deeper into, but we don't want to like, you know, spend hours of your time. <laughs> um, so where could people really find more information, be able to work with you guys to actually start to dive into this?
2: Yeah, for sure. So thank you for that. So, you know, you can reach out to my, myself on my website, stefanosofanos.com, social media at stefanosofanos.com. My wife, Christine, christinehassler.com, and her social is at christinehassler. But we also have a, an amazing coaching institute that we we co-founded, myself, my wife, and another couple, um, Alexi Panos and Preston Smiles, and that's Elementum Coaching Institute. And we teach coaches um, how to be really clean, clear vessels of empowerment for other people and how to – for those that are in the space of coaching – how to really get the best out of their clients by getting the best out of themselves, right? Because I have found in my life that I have been, the more successful I become a, as a coach and as a teacher and a guide, it, there's a direct correlation to the amount of inner work that I do. Mm-hmm. And so part of the curriculum and being a certified master coach and elementum, so elementum master coach and elementum coach, a part of that is doing your own inner work and, and we we facilitate the curriculum is. It's really, it's, a, it's done in such a special way that you're not only learning tangible, hard skills and how, how you can apply that to your clientele, but how you can apply it to yourself, right? Yeah. And, and the amount of, of hours that are involved in the nine-month curriculum journey um, to be a qualified coach are really high as well. So. There's just, there's just a lot of goodness there. So that's elementumcoachinginstitute.com. And, you know, we've accumulated so much of our 50 plus years of, of collective knowledge into this program, into this coaching institute, and it's continuing to evolve.
0: Oh, I'm sure. You guys are, are mm. truly doing the work. You're leading the way in all of that. And I can say that I have been to one of Christine's workshops, obviously not mm. this one, but, you know, and, the amount of respect that I have for you too and in the environments that you create in order for people to heal it was a huge part of my journey and something I still talk about if anyone asks me about my journey I, I bring up that workshop and you were there as well and <laughs> got to experience some of my healing but <laughs> I, I just I appreciate who you guys are how you're healing the world and yeah. and living this this purpose that you're preaching so thank you for being a walking example of
2: that thank you thank you to you both i i deeply deeply appreciate that
1: yeah i mean just a real example of the people doing the work themselves (laughs) and like you said becoming the best (laughs) it within yourself so that you can then help facilitate that Mm -hmm. in others and so stefano thanks so much for being with us we appreciate your time and hopefully we get to see you soon
2: Thank you. Likewise. Likewise. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Dom. Deeply, deeply appreciate both of you as well.
0: Such an incredible episode. I really hope you go check out Stefano's Instagram page so that you can understand his work on a deeper level, really helping people connect with self so we can connect better as a world, right? Connect better in relationship. And don't forget, if you're enjoying these podcast episodes, please hit subscribe, leave us a review. It just helps us to be seen by so many more people. And we're going to have some epic guests coming out continuously on this podcast. And if you have recommendations, let us know. Drop into our DMs, email us, drop it into a review. We want to hear from you so we understand and keep giving you the best information here.